Welcome back to MMA BJJ and life. Hashtag life. Hashtag music. Hashtag 80s metal to now. Or heavy metal, I should say. From the 1980s until now. Hashtag RIP Eddie Van Halen. What a sad day. Uh, What a sad time it is to lose a legend like Eddie Van Halen. And with me today to sort of talk about the life and times and music of Eddie Van Halen, but also to cover a wider swath of heavy metal music is, um, first of all, my co-host that's normally on the show, Nick Cazono. He, the heavy metal bass player slash guitar player uh, from Cleveland, SoCal, who's now in Portland. And, uh, of course, uh, we brought in a guest uh, to chew it up with him. And this is my brother going way back to 1983 when I went to high school in South Florida at J.P. Taravella. Uh, The guy who introduced me to heavy metal music for all intents and purposes. uh, A guy who learned guitar in his bedroom and ended up uh, as what I would call a South Florida 80s metal OG Hank Edney. Hank, what is up, brother? Thank you for having me, brother. Good to talk to you again. It, it is a pleasure to have you. And, of course, Nick. Nick, how you doing today after a very long overnight shift? Oh, I'm actually feeling pretty good now. You know, I'm getting, getting the gears going. I woke up about, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago. But, you know, I'm actually feeling I'm pretty pumped you, to do this one as well. You are right. We're going to talk music. Uh, and, 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 and as the show's called MMA BJJ in Life, we won't be doing MMA fight sports or BJJ all the time. We are going to do life topics. And Eddie Van Halen was somebody uh, that was important in my life. And we're going to contextualize uh, him during the scope of this. But first, I want you guys to get a little bit of deeper understanding of who uh, who uh, our co-host and guest is as it relates to music. So, Hank, just tell us a little bit about your music experience, and then we'll go to Nick. All right. Uh, I think I started playing guitar maybe around 10, quit like four times. Uh, seeing Van Halen when the first Van Halen album came out, I think I was 12. So that just inspired like nothing else could have by then. And... Uh, Got serious with it after high school. Um, we're in some professional bands, did some touring, some recording, record deal at one point, and uh, you know I still keep playing. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. And and Nick, uh, once again, you were you were telling us a couple minutes ago about because a lot of people have heard that you're a heavy metal bass player, but they don't know how this came about. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I got into music right around when Hank probably got into music as far as his age, around 12. But I was more into like alternative rock bands first uh, getting into music. Then I, I got into uh, metal music, you know, right around my teenage type years. Um, and I, I played the trumpet uh, when I was around 12. And I played it all the way through high school, but then I, I started to pick up the bass guitar. I was, I'm not a guitar player, by the way. <laughs> I thought you could play but, uh, guitar. No, I can't play guitar. It's okay. the opposite. Usually, guitar players could, you know, play bass and mm-hmm. you know they become bass players. But yeah, I, I can't play guitar to save my life. But I I started playing guitar when I was sixteen, and then uh, you know went off to college and everything. I play, I did play. You know, I played in uh, a metal band with 
uh, some buddies of mine and everything. My one friend was like a super good uh, a guitar player and everything like that. Um, went off to college uh, and everything, and then um, found some uh, people that I went to college with, started a band with them. And then that started, they were really serious about making it, uh, you know, a career. And they kind of just, I kind of jumped on board with that. And then ever since that moment, which is probably in my late teens, early 20s, I pursued music uh, in a band up, up until probably about three or four years ago when I moved to Oregon. So, um, yeah, lonely. Yeah, I've just been playing in metal bands during that time um, and everything like that. And yeah, we've done some touring. Um, we did recordings. Uh, we we've rubbed shoulders with uh, some record people and everything. Uh, and so you know, I, I've you know, I've had uh, I don't know. I, I don't, what am I trying to say? Let's not undersell this, Nick. You played the whiskey. <laughs> yeah, we played the whiskey in LA. But a lot of honestly, a lot of people can do that when you're out there. So oh, okay. How hard I, was that at the time? No, how hard uh, was that at the time, Nick? It's you pretty. It was. It's pretty much 80s. a. Play, yeah, I mean, like nowadays, that that venue is viewed as like a, a normal sort of um, venue. Compared, like compared, it's a local venue that sort of uh, has national metal acts that are right. you know mid tier size that are coming coming. So. It's like when I was in Cleveland, we had a place just like it called Peabody's Down Under, and uh, in order to, it, your favorite band would would play, and you'd see all these bands wanting to jump on the bill, and the the venue's just like you know I don't know if you had pay to play when you were in bands, but it was essentially like okay, well you want to play with your favorite band here, sell thirty tickets, and you could play you know at this slot. Oh, out there exclusively. It wasn't that brutal in South Florida. So, no, we didn't have to pay to play there, but I knew that group. Well, you know what? You played the whiskey, and Eddie Van Halen played the whiskey. So there's that. Yeah, and Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix and uh, (laughs) Terry Cal from Chicago. So one of the things that's interesting about you two guys is I also was met was was, uh, metal, I would say, fairly exclusively. And then at some point, I transitioned to classic rock. But I want you guys to correct me if I'm wrong. You guys really aren't classic rock. You guys are really still metal. Am I correct or am I wrong? I mean, I'm, take that I'm, first, Nick? I listen to all sorts of metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I never really got fully into classic rock. You know, I respect the, the genre and, you know, I like the hits and everything like that. And I like some of the bands. But, yeah, I mean, my main uh, genre music that I that I mainly listen to is still metal. It's still metal. Yeah. I listen to other stuff as well, but my bread and butter, my, all my musical knowledge, uh, my passion about music, what got me into music, why I wanted to play music was from metal. And it, you know, and I still love it. Hank. Well, for me, I mean, uh, metal took over, but I came from the classic rock side because that's all you had. You know, you were trying to get all the guitar, you know, if that's what you wanted, that's what really excited you about music. And, you know, in the 70s, it's like you could only go to, like, Aerosmith, Boston, Old Kiss. That's how I got into Old Kiss, the guitar playing, you know, and then the whole thing once you get into that band. But, uh, no, it was from classic rock. That's where metal came from. And Eddie was one of those people that bridged that gap and blended one into the yeah, other. Absolutely. Some of the stuff he did ended up becoming staples of heavy metal guitar. So let's 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 dive into Van Halen, and I, I want to throw out one interesting thing that, um, and Hank was 
keenly aware of this back in the 80s because, you know, Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and the crew, and, and I'm talking pre-Metallica era right here, Nick. Um, a lot of bands, there was a lot of imaging going on. And Van Halen, other than a couple photos from that first record, really never cared to put on leather and really have the image. They they were metal, I think. Are they metal, Hank? No, not Van Halen or hard rock. You can call them that. Okay. But, you know, really to their credit, they have too much diversity to just be having a small layer. You know, they're, that label's too small for what that band does. Okay. And that's because of the harmonies that you were talking about the other day, the two parts. Yeah, I mean, okay. the way they can slow it down, you know, they can mm-hmm. do eruption and you really, you really got me, but then they can slow it, you know, right back down and do like women in love or something, you know, completely mm-hmm. different. Okay. And so they weren't trying to fit. So it, 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 with your permission, guys, we could dive into uh, the life and times of Eddie Van Halen, the influence on uh, on guitarists and he- and heavy metal of Eddie Van Halen. Um, so to that end, they really weren't trying to fit in. Not at all. They were doing their own thing, and it was just that good. So it's like you're just going to keep doing that. I mean, I think you could see the the, the exaggeration of their personalities. You know, like the way David Lee Roth was. I mean, that was a full-on sideshow to itself. But I think it worked for how amazing the music was. It's like you'd have to do that just to be relevant in that band as a singer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think David Lee Roth was this, you know, one-of-a-kind frontman. So, and then, you know, back when they when they were kind of hitting their stride and everything, it's just like. And then you had, you know, Eddie Van Halen on guitar. People were like, "What? This is amazing!" <laughs> you know. Like when you have a very unique frontman and a very talented band, I mean that's usually a, a good recipe for success in a lot of Absolutely. a lot of bands. I wasn't around and conscious of music when Led Zeppelin One came out, but I can picture that Woodstock. This is this is like pre Woodstock, so it's like 1968, and if you want to say we're coming off of. The Rolling Stones, uh, they were still around. Uh, uh, Brian Jones was still alive. The Beatles were still a thing. And then in 1968, this good times, bad times thing comes out from Zeppelin. And I could imagine people must have been like, oh, my God, I've never heard anything like that. And I wasn't around for that to happen to me because I grew up with Led Zeppelin. But when I heard Van Halen for this t- first time, and I said this on the show the other day, I'll never forget it. I never heard anything that sounded like that. It was more modern than any, you know, I mean, what did we have to compare it to in that era, Hank? Who was... We didn't. We didn't because that was so homemade. You know, Van Halen, Eddie was reinventing the instrument, and he's playing through gear that he's messed with. He's hot wiring his, his head's dipping his pickups in paraffin wax. He's getting this sound nobody else could get. Yeah, and then you put cool. that pl- that level of playing on top of it. There, There's not another, I don't know if there's another band re- even broader than rock and roll that you could point to, like you can point to Van Halen, the first time we all heard Run In With The Devil, Into Eruption, Into You Really Got Me. That's just ridiculous. And like just, what Hegg was saying about you know the the modifications on guitars and everything that Eddie was doing. I mean, even today, the top players in metal and rock today still do that. Like they still mod their 
<clears throat> their pickups that they, they they're hot wiring their own guitars and everything like that's a thing in today's standards too which eddie was doing but no one was probably even like you know really doing that stuff so, not I mean, yet and was, you just thought that was kind of odd and it's yeah. like now you see the genius of it because back then everybody just wanted to they were happy to have an endorsement they didn't modify their gear they were just happy not to pay for it yeah you know and he's he's like taking like 50 dollar throwaway guitar bodies and a 70 dollar neck and making the guitar that he recorded that first album with it's worth like 150 dollars yeah it's insane and then today i mean a lot of play, a lot of guitar parts i know today do that and i think it's a pretty common practice today but back in the day it wasn't i mean uh, he, brian may made his own guitar from queen as well so i mean I'm yeah sure everybody know that story's been around since hank and i were in in middle school about brian may or brian may's dad making that rickenbacker or modifying that guitar or whatever Sure, but so. that's precision made by a craftsman. Mm -hmm. You know, Eddie was just over there like, you know, a metalhead on steroids with some tools he's not exactly expert <laughs> with. You know, he didn't yeah, care. Yeah. <laughs> that is pretty cool. But, like, you know, a lot of people, like, from before just was fine with, like, you know, the, the stock sort of uh, – the stock setup of your guitar and everything. And when I was, when I was uh, you know, in bands and everything, and, and I was kind of whatever – like five or six years into it, you know, I'd, I'd run shoulders with people that, you know, worked at guitar shops, modded their own guitars. I was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, you could make something sound a lot better <laughs> just, just with, uh, you know, modding your own stuff and having a guitar that's not a $1,200 guitar sound even better that is, was like 500 bucks just from modding it and everything. So, And you that, and he gets the credit for bringing that to the forefront. He created yeah. the custom market completely, the whole thing. There wasn't, all those companies you could go buy all that stuff from mm -hmm. to make a guitar and have it be decent. Now that's as big a business as people that, you know, the new brands that are still yeah. out there like Gibson or Fender. You know, what's interesting is that, that um, intro to, to you really got me, you know, in the beginning, I still haven't heard a guitar that sounds like that. No, people used to say you could pick his guitar up right out of his hands and it will not sound. Oh, really? Like him playing it. Interesting. Yeah, because it's as much his technique. Yeah. as that unique sound that he has that's that's, that's really wild. world <laughs> yeah and i know i i know hank might might i'm gonna duck so hank doesn't like throw a right cross and hit me a bit but when i think about guys who created sounds that are super duper unique and actually you already hit one with brian may but the edges sound that he's created and eddie van halen are so so distinctive and i'm not trying to say they're the only too but but super super distinctive that nobody's come along that sounds like that sure that's that's completely fair um dude you turned me on to that guy in that band please you got all the credit for that okay um, i don't have to duck yeah. then there we go no no dude you know <laughs> I, you know i love the edge that guy's very unique man i mean that's the key you can be very talented but to be unique is the only way you're going to stick out and that yeah. guy that guy takes his uh, gear to a ridiculous level there's a documentary out there that dude changes guitars for every song it's insane yeah and for, a his... tour, for a set list that long this dude this poor guitar road he's got like 17 oh, or 18 yeah. guitars he's got to deal with <laughs> yeah. every night it's yeah and everything has to be just so and there's all these different plugins but but he's created a sound that we've never heard but i've heard people try to play like the edge and try to get some of that sound and there's some notes they can hit that'll sound like him but um i was just watching uh um, it might get loud with Jack White and and Jimmy Page and uh, 
and the edge and he's trying to teach him how to play uh i will follow and it's amazing how wow. his guitar is just ever present in 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 the playing of that song because the other guys guitars aren't and pedals aren't tuned up like that so no that was a very unique sound for him and you know that's that's a guy where it's just really him you know part of what made eddie so special was the gear that he created that the sounds he got but you know, Bono, or I'm sorry, The Edge, you know, he really just deserves the credit for the originality of his writing and his playing. Yeah. Yeah. I got to give it to him. Um, the first thought that crossed your mind, Hank, when you heard Eddie Van Halen was gone as someone who grew up with him. Shock, man. Shock because I thought he was done with all that. You know, those are those cancer issues for stuff he's been addressing for quite some time. And. You know, he was spending the money. He was going to Europe and, you know, Japan and Germany, any place he could get, you know, the best treatment possible. And you didn't know he was sick, you know, very private dude. And then all of a sudden he's just gone. You know, it's like he didn't get a chance to say goodbye. You thought this guy's going to be around for a while. He could be like Les Paul, just be old and crunchy, doing something, <laughs> blues, jazz, anything he wants. So I was crushed. Hank, what did you, or excuse me, Nick, what, what, what were your thoughts when you heard about, I mean, I realize that, you know, it's not like someone you necessarily grew up with, but what did you feel when you heard about Eddie Van Halen? I mean, I couldn't believe it either. I was like, really? Really? He's gone? It was just... Yeah. It was sad, and then also, it it just reminded me of, like, man, like, in today's standards of music, I've said this before, but, you know, these rock and roll legends are almost a dying breed, where I don't think in today's standard of music, you know, rock music guitar into music really isn't as popular as it used to be you know in the 80s 90s even early 2000s you know the youth are the youth of of today they're listening to more you know other styles of music like hip-hop oh yeah man rock and roll is taking a backseat big it really is yeah electronic music's super huge and you know singer type music is big too but yeah these legends that are dying right now we might not have any more left in the next you know 10 years like they all might just be gone and then it's going to be sad and be like oh yeah remember that remember those times when you had all these legends of rock and roll that were just pumping out all this great music i mean it, yeah that's we're going to fall of, in with it we're going to fall in with the blues and jazz guys soon where all yeah. our heroes are gone they're just gone and you just reminisce about when they were here yeah because they're not going to replace the ones we're losing i mean I they'll never yeah. be an Eddie Van Halen again, but that I don't think there'll be anything even near that because the music is so not in the forefront anymore right now, rock and roll. Guitar yeah. players don't aspire to be that. And if they do, it's very niche oriented. You know, it's not yeah, gonna appeal yeah. to a mass audience like Eddie Van Halen did or Jimmy Page did or like, you know, the Edge or you know, any of these other guys like Brian May, you know, like those guys their music appealed to a mass mass audience and in today's standards you know uh people's interests aren't really centered around that anymore it's very it's more diverse whether yeah no there's good guitar players out there playing heavy but you don't know who they are yeah i mean for them in that particular niche that they're in that because they're never they don't they're not mainstream that was one of the things that van halen always deserved credit for too was being able to be so technical and so mainstream popular at the same time that's never easy when you were growing up in South Florida, Metal Hank, was there somebody who inspired you locally? Was there somebody that absolutely okay? I have his guitar. I okay. bought it from him. 
Okay. <laughs> Let's hear it. It was the, like that next age group above us. Mm-hmm. Like say, you know, you when you and I were, you know, junior year, this guy mm-hmm. was early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the first guys I saw play live, they did this at Mullins Park. You remember that old city park? Yeah. Was that in just Coral a, Springs? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And me, okay. And, me and Richie Napolitano just wandered over there one day. It was like called Battle of the Bands. Mm-hmm. Complete gong show of misfits. Um, but the last band was this guy with all the local heavy hitters and they had a band together and they were amazing. Nice. What kind of band were they? Were they a thrash band? Were they like a, a no, cause this like... was like uh, early hell. It could have, it's either 83 late or 84. Or oh, it was okay. before I showed up over there before you showed up. Yeah. Okay. I, I just started I came 82. Okay. Yeah. Right around that time. But no okay. metal was not a local thing yet this was just a rock band but like the guitar player my mentor uh he was that good there's nothing they couldn't play they could play van halen all day long and he could pull it off so and who uh, was he let us let us in on his name name his name is dave rhodes the name of the band ended up being diamond rose that he oh yes yes i remember yeah the singer Oni ended up leaving and joining uh, George Lynch when Lynch left Dawkins. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oni's out there by you now, somewhere out in California. I haven't talked to him in years, but he's still jamming. Him and George are still doing some stuff off and on. He did that uh, tribute cruise for Ronnie James Dio, singing okay. Dio tunes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's the cool thing about like when I lived in California is like a lot of those. Um, 80 like the 80s uh, music starter scene was a lot of those people still live there so it's 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 sure. pretty, you, you know you you do rub shoulders with a lot of people that were kind of big in that era and that are still obviously making music and everything like that but like just the, even like uh, going to the whiskey and you know just being on Hollywood Boulevard and everything that that vibe was still kind of um, prominent there that compared to you know, uh, you know, I played out of state and everything, and you know, and I was very uh, entrenched in you know the local uh, Cleveland metal scene as well. And you know, playing out of state and then playing shows, I'm sure you could relate to this as well, Hank. Oh yeah. Uh, in other states and everything, you in the in, in, in a, on a local level, you know, you, you got the sense of like you know the type of bands that uh, were in that area and the vibe, like right, in, in right. Hollywood Boulevard, it was just a very different vibe. Obviously, just compared to everything else as well anywhere you go but yeah it had that 80s vibe that i wasn't expecting still there but like yeah whiskey still had you know loudness would come and headline and all these like <laughs> other uh you know 80s metal bands would come and headline and you know all the people that were you know uh really that embraced that whole era of music would just come out and you know see these bands and everything so yeah it's funny you see the old metal crowd now because a lot of them just have not uh uh, accepted their their age <laughs> and they still look the same oh hey yeah, they, you could tell you could tell like these people were like wow you've dressed the same ever since like 84 when i was born <laughs> yeah. that annoyed that me and hank had a long discussion i was trying to bring him to grips with um he gets a little upset when someone's like way past their prime and they're still out there playing and uh, i was actually standing in the yoga studio one day about to teach and i was like hank you know what? If these dudes want to go out and they want to they want to ball out and people want to watch, it's good. That's fine. I mean, I don't have to watch. You don't have to watch. But I mean, yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I, I saw it a lot in uh, LA as well. It's like, man, Nick, these these 
he's like and i think it depends on your affiliation with that band if that's a band that really was special to you and they're going out there and embarrassing themselves just to because <laughs> they need the money or they're just whores for attention i know i don't i mean I, oh yeah as, as far as that is concerned you know if they had some hits in the 80s and you know hey if if you're still in my opinion if you're still playing music in today's uh in today's age you know and people still want to see you and you're going to make money hey that's a success you know regardless if you're still putting out music that people still like as far as like being you know critically acclaimed or i i, I argue with my best friend all the time he's like oh well you know the bands they're horrible blah blah, blah. they're 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 irrelevant it's like well yeah they were irrelevant as far as like maybe pushing the envelope or you know be, having still having the best music they're putting out right now okay those days are behind them but i mean if they've garnered an audience throughout their career they're still able to you know pack up pack a place of a thousand people 500 people do a tour and make some money and maybe not work a day job that's a success regardless if you think their music bad right now or bad before so no man as long as they can pull it off that's my only problem when they can't do it anymore and they're out there pretending they can and they're just denigrating the legacy of whatever they're doing. It's like, now, if, you, if they want to go tour instead of work, because most of them, that's all the money they know how to make. You know? Yeah. No, rock stars don't retire. There's no pension. So, you know, you either made enough when yes. you were relevant and 25 years old publishing, mm-hmm. you know, or, yep. you know, you're going to be out there doing it now. So I've seen some good bands that can still pull it off as long as you don't change too many people and call it the same band. Uh, like yeah, Chicago. Okay. Like Chicago. Yeah. You can pull up, you know, that point. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that pretty much the whole band is still there as far as original members. But yeah, if you're the singer and like you want to put the old bands together and everyone else doesn't want to do it. And then you just put it under the same name. No, it's not the same. It's not the band. No, and they're out there, man. There's like yeah. two of this, two of that, because the band can't get their shit together to play together, and they're going to do their own version. What was <laughs> it? Queen, Queensryche did that. Yeah, yeah, that was awful. Yeah, they had. Jeff, this, yeah, Jeff Tate had his own band, and, and it's it a Jeff Tate Queensryche. Like he, it was, at least because, he wasn't yeah. trying to. <laughs> I think he was. Well, yeah, he lost though. a lawsuit, so he had to change what yeah. he was touring under. Something like that. It's like, yeah, it's like unless you're a huge Jeff Tate fan from Queensryche. I mean, why would you watch Queens, right? <laughs> See, I'm, I, I'm the opposite. I'm the eternal optimist, and I surf YouTube, and there's so many young kids that are reviewing our music, and every time they get on and they play a song from the 70s or 80s or 60s, and somebody, their fans who are 20-somethings hear that music, and it, it affects another person. Whether it's, I'm your captain, yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that Grand Funk Railroad? Uh, whatever it happens to be. Creedence Clear. I saw these kids' face light up when they heard Creedence Clearwater Revival and Born on the Bayou. And they're like, oh, my God, man. That's so earthy, man. That's so, so straight up, man. There's just no bullshit at all going on there. And they just loved it. I think they both gave it an A+. That's Alex and Andy or Andy and Alex, whatever their name is. But there are a number of reaction shows on YouTube. Uh, some of them are uh, kids who grew up in hip-hop or R&B, black kids, listening to music that I love for the first time. So I don't think it's dead. I think it's well, it's actually well, I mean, reviving. I'm not saying it's dead, but I don't think that's going to produce the next Eddie Van Halen 
produce the next Brian May. You might I think be right. People have a appreciate. I mean, I think people always have an appreciation of the style of music. Right, but like Nick's saying, it's you got to go out there and do it. Now go get a guitar and start a band and get out there and do it. You can't just sit and appreciate it from a chair. Good like point. Like people just listening to it. That's great. That's but a good point. It's, you know, it's the initiative to go out and do it that's, you know, making rock and roll go extinct. And you have to do it in today's standard of the industry. Ah! Which is hard, yes! Which is hard to navigate <laughs> in, regardless. So, you know, I mean, that... That's the thing. A new band, or you know, all these young kids that are really into classic rock and everything, or or, or folk style music, American folk style music, or something like that, and then and then making like make an impact in today's standards and today's youth, and navigating it through today's industry is why I am very sort of reluctant on scene and another well, Eddie Van Halen comes to play or sure. you know I want to I'm sorry to jump in there Nick it's interesting <laughs> because um one of the things that was so cool and some of us did this Hank and myself and others we would get a pair of overalls and we would wear them without a t-shirt and we would <laughs> and we would hope that we looked as cool or as good as Eddie Van Halen did and unfortunately none of us ever did maybe your friend Rick uh, uh, Hank, <laughs> but wow, he could have pulled it off. I he, would have never tried that. I don't know. If yes, did. I did. I tried it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't look, <laughs> I didn't look like Eddie Van Halen, but the, the, um, but it brings to bear, uh, or it brings to mind another point that Nick brought up about him recording with his band in the studio and how, uh, the aesthetic of a band, how important that is. Uh, relative to the music industry, uh, Nick, and, and tell us about that experience you've related to me, but let the audience hear. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you play locally, and I, I don't know, Hank could probably maybe relate to this, but you play locally, you, you look at the bands that you listen to at the time, and you kind of want to just emulate kind of what they look like, and then like, you know, and then play and do your own thing or whatever. And that's kind of like how I approached it in Cleveland when I grew up, you know, when I'm and raised in Cleveland. So in Cleveland, playing local metal bands in Cleveland and, and touring, you know, regionally, you know, or on the Midwest, East Coast, whatever, you know, the image was like, oh, well, I, I like these guys. I like these guys. They kind of dress like this. I'll just kind of kind of dabble in that and everything. And the bands at the time that I listened to, they, they kind of dressed, they, they were kind of like the antithesis of like the super, like, uh, showy dress and everything like that. They, they kind of dressed like just plain ordinary people and everything like that but then when i moved to california and it kind of hit me in the face like wow image was like a big component to a lot of these bands and everything like that and granted a lot of the bands in california uh, locally were rooted in like the 80s and everything like that so i think that image sort of centric approach was uh still prominent there but even rubbing uh shoulders with the uh, industry people of today out there they were always they were, they were into image as well so the image was like a major component uh when i moved out to california that was well tell, tell us what the hound sound engineer said to you <laughs> oh i mean well yeah our our producer that we we're working with uh uh <clears throat> in california you know um he produced uh well he he worked with a a, a label and everything and produced bands yada 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 but yeah, he we had a couple chubby guys in my van, 
love the guys. No offense to them, <laughs> but you know they know. You know they they understood where where, where they were at or whatever. And yeah, our our producers is like, hey, maybe you know you guys could maybe be you know we do videos, music videos, and everything. And he's like, maybe you could do a video that's kind of goofy, you know, because got some chubby guys in the band. So you know, maybe maybe being less serious and more goofy might suit you guys more. And he only said that just because. You know, two of our our front man was a little little heavy, and our guitar player was uh, you know a bigger guy. And it was just like, really? <laughs> if they were both skinny or whatever, like you probably wouldn't have said that. Man. Yeah, no, it was just that's always going to be the case, even if it's not an image uh, driven style of music. Yeah, the like, thing is, though, when it dawned on me, it was just like I I looked through all these bands that I listened to mm-hmm. that were like in the '80s, '90s, even today's standards in in the metal genre, which really isn't too focused on you know the fans aren't like wow those guys are ugly they're horrible mm-hmm. or whatever but all these bands that i listened to were all skinny <laughs> you know i was just of like course. Man. it was just like that was part oh. of the look man i mean for me and it I still thought, is you know, being, you know if you if you appreciate a band like van halen that wouldn't have worked if, if eddie was overweight no yeah no you know? there, there's there's no is. question yeah even uh vince neal from motley crew i mean he was like a ladies man when he was you know yeah, how embarrassing is that he band. now? That's horrible. Yeah, oh, he looks like he looks horrible now. But I mean, they all. I mean, yeah. Well, he he looks pretty bad. But even like you know, um, what's his face? So Axl Rose when he came back after that long hiatus with uh, Guns N' Roses, oh, he, and he, he came back, and I, I, people bad. were like, "Whoa!" I'm like, "Dude, he put on some pounds." Yeah, I, I went through. Off. It was. I I did the same calculus you did, Nick. I went back and looked at every band grown up and i was like oh my god all these people are like fit and good looking and and i it never really occurred to me obviously because i'm a guy but then it occurred to me like uh you know going to see van halen with uh danielle and lane back in 1984 uh those girls were probably attracted to the band members of van halen and not that oh they're my god similar, they had know. a huge female following because of how they were i mean mainly because of dave that's what dave was out there to do more and than anything Eddie. else. Well, Ed, well, Eddie was just that uh, good looking because he wasn't trying. He was probably just it's wearing just, whatever. So good looking, He's just yeah, doing doing yeah. his thing. The yeah. hair that the, the, mm-hmm. he had killer metal hair. That dude. He just and, yeah. He just was so he just was really good looking. He had an exotic look, a little bit of Asian with his eyes right. and his uh, yeah. his very very int- uh, different looking kind of a dude. So yeah, mom is Indonesian. I just learned that. That's why. Yeah, oh, that makes okay. sense. Okay, yeah. But so, yeah, it was just that dawn on me. It was like, wow, image is almost just as, as important as your music. And, you know, I was just like, oh, it should be all. I mean, you normally would think, yeah, it should just be all. If the music's good enough, then it should succeed. If ah, There's but, plenty of bands out there, you know, Nick, that just don't go on, on, on their musical skill. They have some kind of appeal that was yeah. marketable and, that, you know. Yeah, but music even then, was should have been out front like Van Halen, but it was not. Yeah, like George Lynch, is, for instance. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you don't like Lynch? No, I love. Oh my God, I love George Lynch, but I'm just saying, like his look probably didn't hurt. No. No, I mean for for Dokken, you know, think of where he came from. You know, he had that half blonde, half top of his head kind of crazy thing going on when they first started. So he came from that genre of bands that had to have a look, and he kind of kept. It, you know, but like his rock and roll look when he started Lynch Mob, that was much cooler. 
I got to say, I haven't seen him in forever. And by the way, I was getting, for some reason, I got hot and bothered thinking about the intro to Rats Lay It Down. I don't know why that makes me so hot. I feel like I need a cigarette and a cold shower after that. So, really? Uh, lay It How Down? That? Yeah, that well, intro? No, it's, it's a good, it's a good, yeah. I mean, that's a yeah. nice guitar-heavy song for a single. I like it. Yeah, I really Killer need solo. to. Killer solo. Killer oh. solo. Martini slowed it down on the second album. He was just all blitz speed, probably from playing clubs around Eddie Van Halen's time, you know, and then learn to slow it down a little bit on that album. Yeah, good stuff on that one, on that so, song. And and so I want to ask you guys, uh, because Classic Rock uh, Photos on uh, on um, Twitter today did a poll of that you could pick the top five out of 35 guitar players that they gave you. Now, these are Classic Rock guys, so I'm not going to name them off. I'm just going to ask you out of your mind – to give me your top five heavy metal guitar players of all time, starting with you, Nick. Uh, that's a tough one. Of all time, I would say uh, I'm not gonna put them in order. No, right. I did the same like, thing. <laughs> yeah, because I never even like when mm-hmm. people are like, "What's your top five movies? Top mm-hmm. five bands? Like, right? Albums? I'll just be like, here, here's the top mm-hmm. five. No one order. There's not number mm-hmm. one, number mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Off the top of my head, I would say one of them definitely Randy Rhodes amazing the stuff he did with ozzy i mean it's just like so and then his tragic death and everything i mm-hmm. mean i mean he influenced a lot of people his image as well you know rainy rose v and everything like that he had you know he had a classical influence as well in his plane mm-hmm. really shine through and then ozzy obviously everyone loves ozzy and his work with ozzy was amazing i think uh marty freeman from megadeth is amazing i think he's a very unique player i think um you know, Rust in Peace from Megadeth is probably one of the best thrash albums of all time. I mean, that, they were just like firing all cylinders on the album. You, that's like a timeless thing. And he's an amazing player. He still puts out good music as well, too. But he was very unique. And I think he, he touched a lot of people uh, with his stuff that he did in Megadeth and right now. Um, oh, gosh. I don't know. I'm trying to think. We can go to Hank if you're stuck. So. Uh, I can think of one more potentially. Um, I would say right now in today's standards, uh, Tulsa Nabasi from Animals as Leaders. The stuff he's doing right now is just he's just I don't know, he's he's very unique in his approach to playing, and I think he's one of the, the forefronters of like uh, the modern guitar player and what guitar can do now. He's he's putting he's he's doing techniques that are like just way out there that people are like whoa. What's his name again? Wilson Abbasi, he's okay. uh, he's African American. He dresses in like designer clothes and everything, but like what he's style got, like, of music does he play? He he plays instrumental music. It's very jazz oriented, but it's very metal. But it's very um, his it's metal, metal and jazz, metal and jazz. But like wow. uh, uh, like lead wise, he's very jazz. But his rhythms are very like. Uh, rhythmic and heavy, so he, he, he tunes down to I don't know uh, insane tuning. You know, oh yeah, very rhythmic. He doesn't have a <laughs> bass player in his band because his his tones that he has are that low and everything. Wow. Rhythm guitar player is actually a flamenco style guitar player as well. So they do a lot of like finger style techniques, like uh, right, go classical style, like four finger, but like it's like is fast. it just the two of them? It's two guitar players and one. The drummer's incredible. The drummer's like insanely insanely good but like the guitar players that the, they both use i think eight string guitars so that's how they could get their lower register type of uh okay. right 
but like he's like in the forefront of like the modern guitar player and what the guitar can do now so but he's incredible i think he'll he'll be i don't think he'll ever reach like a uh, a mainstream audience for the no but still they're gonna be like this guy's incredible because he's always he I'll, I'll tell you this he he did it i think he did e3 with uh joe satriani and steve Vai. that's like that's how good he is and those guys are kind of recognizing how good he is too so he's kind of oh, sure yeah and, then and he, you'll get you know you'll always get like the uh guitar snobs to go to your stuff it, if yeah. nothing else when you're that good yeah so he appeals to that and he appeals to yeah he appeals to the guitar snobs and he appeals to like you know the metal audience as well but I would say him, and then, I don't know, I can't think of anything else, so you could go to Hank. <laughs> All right, and Nick, uh, before I go to Hank, please send us that guy's name on text so that we – Yeah. I, I believe you've piqued Hank yeah. interest and mine too, so. Yeah. Uh, Hank, who's uh, on, who's on guy, that – He's kind of very humble. Who's on that Mount Rushmore plus one of metal guitar players? I could go by uh, Impact probably on me and, and, and probably okay. in that order. But I got to tell you now, after I just did the entire Van Halen catalog, even the Van Hagar stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I think Eddie has to go to, to number one. And I didn't wow. realize it for a long time because, I, I, you know, so much of that greatness fair, and man. virtuosity oh, yeah. was a long time ago, you know. And uh, now that I go back and relive it, it's like, no, that was the guy, man. That really put the spark. Then uh, Randy Rhodes, like you said. Uh, you know, those two were the, the two headhunters in L.A., you know. Those two made yeah. each other and better. And Randy Rose died at, at a young at age. Time. Yeah, you were robbed of him. Yeah. You know, so. So, like, uh, that like, ex- at the, that excels his sort of legacy because he died, well, like, at his peak. And you sure, and I did get to see him live one time. I mean, he did the Blizzard of Oz oh, tour. Oh, my gosh. Killed, and I got Dude. to see that. I did get to see him. It Blizzard of Oz. Oh, my gosh. That, yeah. see, we'll, we'll touch on that, I think in a bit well i'm sure you've probably seen all my heroes live which is <laughs> uh hank i was ta- lucky man at the time that dave and i knew each other everybody came to south florida fort lauderdale fort lauderdale area man yeah. everybody that's amazing. so yeah saw him live amazing uh under that would probably be ace fraley that's the guy that really inspired wow. me to play okay because a lot of you know, a lot of just... I've, I've i've met a lot of metal guys that were yeah. obsessed with ace fraley like science bands like that i'm like look up to and they're like oh ace fraley like black metal yeah. bands oh ace Fra- <laughs> like yeah. bands we'll of look- genres that you didn't think would be his fans and they're like ace fraley for sure because if so. you paid attention that guitar playing wasn't really very prevalent in the 70s what he was doing i mean that's why they got him he was like that was a hired gun scenario him gene and paul they would never hire somebody like ace who's completely opposite of what their value system is for a band unless he was that good oh yeah you know so him uh, from the newer stuff, I would say Alex Skolnick from Testament. You know, that was He's a very classically good. trained. Very good. Classically trained. He went to MIT oh, yeah. or he went to Juilliard, something mm-hmm. like that. His parents oh, yeah. were professional classical musicians. But that guy wrote some really killer oh, heavy yeah. riffs. And the solos, once uh, he really kind of got into his own second, third album, they're just amazing. They're at that next level. Oh, yeah, level. he was... You know, what's cool about that is like that that era of music and metal, the '80s style, '80s thrash. All those guitar players, like I mean, Marty Freeman kind of fits in that category as well. I mean, there was so much talent coming out of that oh, it was era. Sick. Of music. It was sick to try and even be in a band at that time was such a challenge to try and just keep up with all that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like if anyone remember, ever gave you accolades for your playing from back then, it's like, I, I was just trying to oh. keep up, man, because <laughs> it was insane out there. <laughs> I mean, the standard guitars that were there around the 80s, just, I mean, it was, yeah, it was nuts. Like, I don't think yeah, people realized that. Yeah, it only accelerated with it. metal. You know, metal made every, it got faster, which makes it, it harder. You know, but, but these guys, Eddie Van I mean, Halen like was at the said. forefront of that, man. Yeah. You know, solos, there are so <laughs> many heavy metal guitar players that are just absolutely crushed right now. I can imagine. Yeah. I can only Absolutely. imagine. Absolutely. Any metal guitar player worth a shit, man, was severely bummed on Tuesday. Let's oh, yeah. go Let's go top five uh, heavy metal bands, and then after that, we're going to get into... Um, I want to get into bef- the industry with, with Hank. Okay. Some, uh, okay. Well, you and I could questions. probably waste a lot of time that only you and I would appreciate, and other people, like, especially, you know, whatever podcast <laughs> followers you have right now. <laughs> Well, I think the industry is just a very interesting topic, especially – well, the industry for you would be a lot different than the industry for me. Yeah. You know, like, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see, like, the, the, the similarities and obviously the differences, the, the distinct differences because the industry yeah. now is way – obviously way different than it was 10 years ago, let alone before Shit, that. I don't even recognize it from the way it was when I was serious. Yeah. Go ahead, Nick. If you would cut something, okay. ask him something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. So – what kind of band did you tour in when, when, when you were, uh, you know, trying to trying to make it, trying to well, get? Yeah, it. the most serious band, the one that like all these yeah. people were talking about made happen, was a metal band that was late '80s, probably. Okay. I mean, it was in full swing. Um, let's see, like Metallica was at Master of Puppets. So okay, that I was gonna say Injustice. Okay, all right. Yeah. So it's just all out there, yeah. and uh, you know there was a good amount of clubs in South Florida from the spring break factor. Okay. So you ended up with a lot of places you could play down there. And, and were you guys an eighties got... metal like thrash? Yeah. Were you guys a thrash band? Yeah, all original. We did covers like Metallica. You know, you find stuff that kind of de- oh yeah you know, help you to yeah you know uh, define who you are as an individual. You play those covers because that was. You know, Metallica made that a thing where, you know, now there's bands doing covers oh, on yeah. their albums. Yeah, yeah. All the they, they first started, all they did was covers. They did like three originals or something. They did all these. That's what we covers. did too, you know, because that's how you impress people immediately is if you yeah. can pull off somebody else's stuff that they know, then you can work your original shit in there. Okay. You know? was, that a, was that a common thing for bands in that, during that time? To just it was pretty competitive, covers? sure. You know, the band that uh, Jordy White went off and ended up being famous with Marilyn Manson with, you know, he was in a thrash band playing the clubs with us back then. Okay. Uh, Jason Beeler from Saigon kick. Okay. You know, he was, yeah. he went to school with me and Dave and then, you know, oh, nice. die hard, yeah. serious, man. That's that kid that never came. He was like Eddie. Like when you see the early years of Eddie or him and uh, Alex didn't come out of the house, they just practiced all the time. That's how you get good. You know, and that was this dude. <laughs> And then when his band came out, it was just, uh, you know, a war to get signed. And he got signed to uh, Michael Douglas had started a record label off of Atlantic. Okay. uh, From all the romancing the Stone movies he did, all the money he made off those. Yeah, yeah. He started a a label called Third Stone that Atlantic, they had Atlantic for distribution. Then they signed Saigon Kick. So, you know, there was bands that were getting, you know, discovered and going out and being something, you know. The band I told you about that Oni was in, and then he went on to do uh, Lynch Mob. See. You know, there was uh, the bar was high. The only thing that kept Fort Lauderdale from being like in L.A. or New York is the industry wasn't there. Mm. Right, the so record finding, industry. 
So, you know, you're talking, you want to know about the record industry back then. It was yeah. awful, fucking awful. It was only that the drummer in my band worked in an independent record store. And one guy that worked for a couple of independents, he would show up and give product to these independents because they didn't have the, the big chain distribution. You know, the smaller labels, they weren't always going to get into the big record towers and peaches and all that back then. And, and this uh, is the time when, you know, people bought albums and yeah, you record needed a record was... deal from a record company old school to get out there and be able to do anything. No Internet. Yeah, they didn't have shit. Internet. No one was no. streaming music. You, know, you were <laughs> like usually the... just playing, you know, playing shitty clubs in front of as many people as you can, touring around. You know, from back then, so many bands just got on the road and didn't quit until somebody really noticed who they were. Yeah. Then, and oh, he, okay. he faced some commitment issues like you did, where there I mean, was yeah. the, oh, the yeah. best band that, that he had, if I remember correctly, Hank, there was one guy that would have, would have, was kind of like the linchpin to the group that didn't want to, to go forward. And he then, was having some personal issues, and, and it was you know the guy that we had waited forever to get. You know? um, and, then the, we, and the thing was, you should have management if you ex, uh, you're going to contemplate a record deal, because we just had no idea what we're doing. Yeah, uh, we, didn't, we didn't have management either. And I was like looking, trying to look into the management as well and i knew i knew a girl who wanted to get into management and she knew quite a few managers of bands and everything and at one point she was trying to manage the band i was playing in but um yeah she said a lot of them like in at least you know when i was playing were you know in their mid-20s early mid-20s because it's like if you think about it um, you know, you're on the road for if you're managing a you know a nationally signed band that's successful. You're on the road six, eight months out of the year. So oh, like road management. Oh, sure, yeah. that's brutal, man. That's all. Yeah, I meant, yeah, I meant road management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, let me just tease: we're going to have on a road manager, Chris Taylor. Uh, and I don't remember the band that he's the road manager of, but he's also I think Hank, you guys have already seen his guitars and all that. He has a studio. No, there's a man with that. some stories, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so coming up on uh, another episode of MMA BJJ and Live, Chris Taylor. But go ahead. Yeah, for, for Hank, um, so how did, how extensive did you do your touring with your band? Like, Well, the band on? that got the record deal was, you know, that, that really just maintained local because we got that before we ever had to, like, break out. Oh, wow. Like, all right, now, you know, now we got to go play hundreds of miles from here in the next biggest yeah. town. Yeah, okay. Because there was that yeah. much attention to the area, like I uh, Saigon had uh, had already got signed. Okay, people so were you're kind of down yeah, there. people they had some eyes but, on you. Yeah, on but area. without management, you know, a lot of bands back then they got the record deals because they had the management first, and it was the manager that had the contacts with the record label. Yeah, and that's how so, it is. You know, today too. I mean, it's all about the contacts. Well, how did you guys get signed though? Just because you that's guys the thing. It was at pure luck, man. It was only the local rep that came into my drummer's independent record store Rec and he handed okay. this guy one of our demos and uh we had this okay. one song that was on a college music convention uh like uh it was a cassette that's how much i'm dating myself right <laughs> but you want a slot hey man, on this cassette <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah it wasn't, wasn't that uh far you know so so uh, uh archaic yet but you want a slot on this yeah cassette because it was going to get distributed to everyone that went to this con convention you know all uh, okay. industry 
So we got on that with this one song. The one song, we only had three songs recorded that were worthy of, you know, putting out. Um, and out. they okay. offered us a record deal. It was a little <laughs> small label out in California. Um, they okay. were uh, independent, but they had uh, Island Records, which was pretty major at the time. That was when Anthrax okay. was signed to them. Yeah. They had them for promotion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then they had MCA. You remember the old Big Giant? That's legit, man. They had them for distribution, so a little record might be able to go somewhere with That's all legit, those, con- those you yeah. know, being connected like that. But, you know, we didn't have management. You know, we're mm-hmm. negotiating a record deal with our music law teacher. So you... Me and the guitar player and the, and the singer okay. were going to the Art Institute okay. for their music video business. Hey. So, but this guy was somebody with some knowledge yeah you know what but it, it it did bite us in the ass because the guy didn't really have this kind of experience and he was treating this like when okay. metallica got their eight album deal from Elektra for like multi-million dollars it was just a one album deal yeah just sign it okay. just get it out there like when metallica got signed to mega force it... little tiny homemade label yep but got something mm-hmm. you can go tour with if we would have did that you know who knows what would have happened but we dragged it out like it was some big deal and it just never happened you guys were still negotiating the deal when they offered it to you, essentially what you were saying? Yeah, I mean, they, they even increased the money. We thought it wasn't enough money. They gave us more. It was a little label. Oh, okay. I mean, what happened, Nick, the, the label went under like a year later. So I don't even know that they really could yeah. support properly. But they were banking on us because they were little. And they knew, you know, okay. music. But they had our, legit Our band doing what it was. Sure. And our band doing what it was at the time. Um we had kind of a look, you know, you were talking about the eighties look. Uh-huh. We, you know, my band kind of had that for being as heavy as we were. And they told us when they came in medicine, offered us the deal. Like you got, you, you guys don't look as metal as you are. You're more marketable. than Like, Oh shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, Dave, you remember how big of fans we were of the early Motley Crue stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. I, yeah. And there I, was I, a lot of, you know, there was a lot of gimmick there. I mean, we didn't wear the makeup, but you know, go out of hand look like something and like you know a lot of metal bands didn't look like anything they went to plain jane like metallica just denim and jeans and you know we looked a little more like that like we're, we were hinting of like almost like an la band and it did work mm. for us it was part of why they all along with the negotiations with when you were talking to these guys i this think is we like... dragged it out for oh wow that's and insane then we, and then Damn. it's one of those things. I'm sure I told Dave about this already. It's like when you have a record deal in front of you, you're staring over the cliff. It's like, are you going to jump or not? And that's when the yeah. band starts. And I think it's still apart. like that. Yeah. That's yeah. when everyone's committed. I mean, is are you going to sign this? Are you going to obligate yourself to this? And not everybody was up for it. So it didn't happen. Oh, okay. That's fair. I mean, yeah. I, my, it came too easy. Yeah. My band, we went to uh, a music convention. It was like an industry convention in uh, Pennsylvania. And then, like, there was a small, tiny, tiny label from, like, Chicago. And, like, you know, we have, like, our press kit. And, you know, with this, it's got, like, the photo of the band. And then, like, we have a little disc that we – CD that we burned that had, like, our three songs that we thought were, you know, the best songs to sort of impress the strongest strongest stuff or whatever. And we give it to this guy and he was was like, Oh, it's pretty good. Blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we were talking to him and everything and he was a label out of Chicago, but he was more, he was in the, he had like a, it was like a hardcore punk kind of label. And Hmm. he had some connections with um, a band, uh, agnostic front was the band that I think he had connections with. Oh, wow. They were huge out there. 
Yeah, so, you know, he's like, oh, man, I could put you guys with, like, a knocks in front. But he had, like, hip-hop artists on his label and everything, and maybe if he was trying to branch out into more metal as well. Thinking but, like, like you know, Rubin. He's, he's got, like, Slayer, but he's got hip-hop. Yeah, but he was rooted in, like, the hardcore scene. It's like, yeah, the bands, like, knocks in front and everything. But we didn't play any, like, air style music would was not reminiscent no, of Nasty Fun no, at that's all. Very one direction. Yeah, so I was just like, even if we went on tour this with Agnostic Front, I mean, we'd probably get booed. <laughs> would, <laughs> it was just like, ooh, but like he sent us the contract, and it, and it was like for like five albums. I mean, it was it was insane. I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What kind you know, of we money it as, did it offer? It, here's the thing. I mean, the money probably was non-existent. We had uh, our my singer, the my buddy who was the singer, he he was friends with the entertainment lawyer. And everything, and he sent the that guy the contract or whatever, and the guy's just like, "Yeah, don't sign it. it, it it's not, <laughs> no, don't don't even do it." And we're like, "Well, in our eyes, it was just like, okay, well, we can maybe do one album with this guy, and maybe it could sort of like what you said, you know, um, you could rub elbows with someone else and then sign to a larger label and go from there." But this guy right. wanted us to do like five or six albums under this label. That it was just like kind of no. it was pretty much a ho dunk you know label from chicago and it was just like ooh, no so it was just like no we're not going to sign it but it, i mean this was the first time this is before I, I i moved to california to 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 play music out there with the same band um you know it's the first time just seeing a record contract and it was just sure, like you huge. know your eyes get wide and you see all <laughs> the possibilities that could happen yeah. and everything while still being like all right what what does this guy you know um bring to the table that could help us like because essentially that's what labels are they put you on a platform to to a for or to a wide variety of uh, audience that you can't reach yourself and then from there you know you could garner uh you know a a following and everything like that and then jump from there and start to you know do some well back then that was the yeah. thing in the 80s you needed a record label for all that with the internet now everyone can do it themselves they can record their own stuff put it out go tour do whatever you want they can but, the but then is, they don't have the that market platform. Is <laughs> no no it's gone that platform gone. is gone the business like i said i don't recognize it now what it is now compared to then you know because the the market's oversaturated now completely because everyone can do it yeah everyone could do it i mean you could record yourself like if or you could have a friend that records just as good as like maybe you know a producer that might cost you a crap ton of money but then again it's like it's all about the platform that you're on that garners yeah. you an audience so if you're able right. to garner a ton of people to 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 check you out on yourself then yeah you don't need a label but honestly the label is the label basically gives you that platform even in today's standards to an audience that you can't reach yourself cuz that's the only reason people want to sign the labels now before they had way more power to put it in perspective for people, if you, for especially if you're a sports fan, you have a better chance of making it as an NFL football player, as an NBA basketball player, or as an MLB player than you have to make it as a big-time touring rock band. The numbers are well below 1% to become a famous band that does like stadium arenas and things like that. Is of that course. A, I mean, is with, that yeah, say? because with I, I, yeah, I with a professional athlete, you you at least know the parameters. You know, you have to be this good to get looked at for the NFL or the NBA. 
there's no preset parameter for <laughs> why something works in rock and roll. It makes there's no logic. The one band that's you know you compare somebody's sales <laughs> stats. One multi platinum band compared to the next one, they couldn't be more different. It's not looking at like two running backs. It's completely different worlds. That's why it works. And even you can have a song, and you'll never have a record. You could have one song that's like amazing, but you'll sure. never have yeah. have a and have, that song can make you all the money. It could. It could. That so, song could launch your whole career. It absolutely make a whole career based on that one song. But what, when Hank was saying was just like, there is no like no, there's no a formula. Athlete, you know, you, you there's a formula for that to succeed. Yeah, but, but like, there's no music, formula for music. Yeah, you hear about all there's no formula. Like you hear about all these stories that how people get signed and and yeah, like what Hank was saying, like you know, we just they luckily this guy came into you know this this store that his drummer worked at, and then that's how they got their music into this guy's hands. And honestly, that's how. That's how it works, you know. Like you have to be, luck is a very large component of how you could succeed or start to, you know, <clears throat> start to, um, sort of snowball into success. But the thing is, it's like if you're strategic about it, or if you kind of if you work at it, you could put yourself into these situations that could put you in a lucky situation to rub shoulders with the industry. Yeah, if you want to work hard but enough, then no, you'll yeah, be there's... somewhere in the right place, you know, and that's the bands. You'll get the better record labels if you get that lucky, you know. And with without, uh, without the, without the lottery's no, like, chance oh, of someone just seeing you at a club and wants to yeah. sign you, like, you know, the, the Van Halen angle, if you want to talk about them, they got catapulted into, you know, getting this done because Gene Simmons saw them in the heyday of kiss oh i didn't and know that he signed them yeah. to a contract he took them to electric ladyland in new york they recorded demos he wanted bill Coin, who started their label to sign van halen and he passed so oh my god back with their uh, uh, how insane is that the only insane the only band casablanca ever had was kiss that's all they could afford and then even you know at this point kiss is a platinum seller so Gene can go to them and be like, hey, look at this dude. Look at this band. And he passed on it. How pissed is that guy? Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, um, but that got, them the, that got them the momentum. That got them some album quality demos. That got them signed to oh, Warner yeah. Brothers. And Gene Simmons, as much as I have nothing but contempt for him anymore, you know, being the whore he is for attention, he did the right thing by them back then, man. He released them from their contract. They got signed to Warner Brothers, cool. and the rest is history. Yeah, and apparently there's on YouTube you can find Led Zeppelin Zero, that I guess is the demos that became Led Zeppelin One. I haven't heard it, but uh, Chuck Klosterman on uh, with Bill Simmons the other day uh, alerted me to that, so I got to check that out. But we have to wrap it up. So um, I'm going to finish with Nick is why I love heavy metal, and my favorite act of all time. I don't have a favorite act of all time. <laughs> why I love heavy metal? Why I love heavy metal? I, I mean, it was just um, the the distinct sound I like a lot, and just the diversity that it can do in in music. I mean, you could essentially just take any style of music and kind of manipulate it into making it a metal song or a metal album. There's so many different genres within metal that borrow from a lot, but still essentially is metal so that that uniqueness and everything and just the aesthetics of just like heavy guitars really good melodies just you know i like the screamy vocals too like 
as well. So all that stuff is why I like metal. And it's, I still like it. Yeah. It's so interesting how you guys are a tribe, that metalheads are such a tribe when you encounter one another. Hank, why you love metal? Um, Just because, like I said, you know, coming from like a classic rock, it took that, what you liked about that, and just threw it into overdrive on steroids, <laughs> man. It just went ape shit. And there's so much you could do with it. You know, you could put on a really killer show. You know, being a, a big Kiss fan in the 70s, you know, uh, having a real appreciation for the visual as much as the music. There were no boundaries. You couldn't go too far in heavy metal. And it's like right on the edge. You know, the heaviest of the heavy bands. You're right on the edge of going too far because you can't go too far. You can be right. too fast or too right. whatever, and it just sounds a little ridiculous. Right, you? right. And there are bands out there doing that now because there's nowhere left to go. Right. There's no, yeah. Metal, metal always danced on that edge of, is it too much? Is it too fast? It was right there. Everything was on 11. You know, the, the proficiency of the instrument, uh, you know, it was a zero tolerance. You had to know what you were doing. Right. And, I remember uh, how high the standards were because you made me know absolutely. how high the standards were high. <laughs> All right, uh, so so um, coming up this week, we're going to have Thomas Flowers, the lead singer of Oleander. We're going to have Chris Taylor, the road manager for the band whose name I don't remember, but when he told me, I was like, I know that band. And it's been amazing to have on um, Hank, Edney, and Nick because, as I said, metalheads are a tribe. Uh, they say, I see you, I see you. You know, it's like when in when you're in a totally white community and two black people walk by one another, they'll nod each other's head even if they don't know each other. It's like I see you <laughs> because you yeah. guys are like 100%. You guys are uh, anywhere you go, you're a group. It could be uh, on deployment somewhere or whatever. So uh, it's been an honor to have you on, Hank, to talk heavy metal. Pleasure, um, brother. Always. Are you on Twitter at all or anything like that? No, no, I I I'm barely Good on social you, media at all. I got Good you know, for you. <laughs> I got no. Avoid you know, that we, stuff. We, we created a South Florida Thrash Metal Association Facebook page for all the old comrades that uh, used awesome. to play or used to go to the shows, and that's really my only Are reason. Are you still in South Florida? Being on, no, no, I've lived in Nashville now. I left 2010. Oh, oh, nice. and gone. That's awesome. You know, okay. So, I was just gonna ask how the, South Florida is or is metal. It, no, it's kinda... it, that scene was that time, and then that was it. Because then all those bars, yeah. they shut down. They got sick of the spring break. Then there was no bands to play, no places for bands to play. And like we already said, yeah. those bands are rare now anyway. Yeah, the Fort Lauderdale City Council ensured to kill spring break and heavy metal simultaneously. Oh, yeah. All those great <laughs> clubs you saw bands in. You know, I saw Michael Schenker in a club with Black Crows oh, opening nice. for him. No one even knew who they That's were. Crazy. That first, that first yeah. single hadn't dropped yet, and now it's some lame seafood place where the old people go for their <laughs> early. Bed. I'll have the oysters, Rockefeller. Nick, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, Eats Thrash is my handle on Twitter, Gosh. and you know. That's about it. Yeah, mostly talk about MMA, but I'll talk music all day. This is the, all day. <laughs> this is the first time we've had Hank on. It's not the last. Uh, so I we'll do. The, look forward to it. Yeah. Very and we, much, brother. <laughs> we will do it again. Thank you so much. It was great to memorialize Eddie Van Halen with you, somebody who meant uh, so much to us. So for Hank Edney and Nick Cazono, this is DJ San Marco saying peace out. I'll see you down the road. One love.